Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast, where we cover the news of the community and learn from each other. My name is Mark Erickson. I'm Cade Ward. And I'm David Bernheisel. Let's jump into the news. First up, I noticed that Andrea Leopardi has started a video series where he's solving networking problems from protohackers.com in Elixir. I thought this was cool because, first of all, Andrea is going to be a great source. I already, from watching the first one, got some interesting ideas of things to do in Elixir that I've never considered. Like, for example, you know, he's, he makes a gen server and makes a struct in there. And, and he says that that's something that he commonly does. It's something that I don't commonly do. So I thought that was interesting. Anyways, it's a great opportunity to learn from someone. And if you're interested in networking code and how TCP stuff works and gen TCP, that's the kind of stuff he's working on. So really interesting series that I'm looking forward to. And next up, I saw a smart cell for playing with DAL-E directly from Livebook. With all the previous stuff we've seen in Stable Diffusion, generating images from text, those were being rendered directly in Livebook by Axon and things like that. But this is different. This is actually connecting out to the third-party website that is OpenAI and DALL-E. So what this does is this takes a, an API key that you may have with that other website and be able to execute those prompts on that other website, take the results and actually render them into the smart cell in your live book. So I don't know that this is necessarily something people will want to use as a way of interfacing with Dolly, but you know, it's a way of starting to play with the API to it. If nothing else, it could be an interesting way just as an example to see how to connect out to other external websites with API keys that are how Livebook can manage API keys and how to render images in smart cells. And speaking of Livebook and other machine learning kind of things, if anyone is looking for a hello world of machine learning with Axon, Torin Billups got an example working with the help of Ian Warshick. So like all hello world examples, it isn't supposed to be impressive. It's supposed to be an easy to understand Example as an entry point. So this example does FizzBuzz classification. <laughs> uh, good old FizzBuzz example. So there's a gist out there that puts it all together. It's a really nice uh, uh, example. In case you haven't heard of FizzBuzz, it's just a division and remainder puzzle. So if the number is divisible by three, output Fizz. If it's divisible by five, output Buzz. If it's divisible by three and five, output FizzBuzz. There you go. There's your there's your little today I learned in case you didn't know what FizzBuzz was. That was actually one of my first interview questions. I, I got that interview question one of my first uh, programming jobs. So uh, relevant to me, at least. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they still give that question out anymore, but it's still a good like introductory you know, question of how things work. But now you can actually solve that with machine learning. <laughs> <laughs> Neato. Herman Valesco released a video recently and a post about Phoenix going viewless. So if you're curious about what that migration might look like to the new Phoenix 1.7 and how there's no views, give it a look. It may be a tedious change, but it makes sense and it removes a layer and consolidates Phoenix components. I've gone through this. It's definitely a tedious change, but it's good to see Herman uh, break it down for you in both you know the post form and the video form. Also interesting about this post is that it made it to the orange site. It's 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 entertaining to read internet comments sometimes <laughs> to get a, a a kind of feel like what is the general perception of how things are. I mean, don't take it you know literally. Don't peg your feelings to it, but it's always interesting to to, to read through. So we got a link to the orange site on this post actually, which is not really about the post. It's more about Phoenix and Elixir generally. So. If you're in for a laugh, go check out the comments there on the orange site. 
put on your troll guard first. And next up, ElixirConf EU 2022 videos continue to slowly be doled out. And we included a link to the YouTube video playlist where you can find all of them. And just as the, at the time of this recording, three more of those videos were released over the past week. So if you're wanting to follow up and just catch out some of the cool things that people were talking about and presenting on that you may have missed, it's a great resource. And last week we talked about Finito Mata. I think I'm saying that right. Finito Mata. Finite Omata. It is a finite state machine pattern put out by Alexi, one of the core team members of, of Elixir. I think I'm putting all the puzzle pieces together there. And last week we talked about, well, that that the library was released at, at all. And this week the library was updated to include support for Ecto, which I know a lot of folks might appreciate. Just to recap again, in case you, you missed last week, Finito Mata is a library that will generate boilerplate finite state machine code for you from mermaid graphs or plant UML graphs. So you draw your things and and have them point to other things, and that's the state changes there, right? So last week it was just only supporting, you know, general gen server kind of state changes or process changes. But now it includes Ecto, which I think is going to uh, appeal to another wider group of folks. And in any case, Finito Mata seems to be a great example of a pattern for managing those changes. In this latest update, he includes a pattern for logging events into Ecto on anything you want, really. I've done this probably a half a dozen times over my career, so it's always good to see how other folks do it. And I absolutely love, I mean, this isn't new this week, but I absolutely love that the library will will generate this boilerplate based on your mermaid graph, right? So you can think visually first on how, you, how this thing needs to evolve, and then it generates all the code for you, the boilerplate at least. So that's that's pretty cool. A new version of LFE was released. So LFE stands for Lisp Flavored Erlang. It runs on the Beam and is written by Robert Verding, one of the original developers of Erlang. So this marks 2.1.0 as a release. More improvements are on the way in a 2.1.1 release, which is already planned, addressing some long-standing edge cases around matching. Just cool to see that uh, there's another Beam language that's still moving forward. It's like, I think it was the first non-Erlang language to run on the Beam, and it's still going forward. So that's just really neat to see it's still moving. And next up, as a fun experiment, I saw some people on Twitter talking about PageSpeed Insights and being able to run this on different websites that they saw. Really, I don't know anything about PageSpeed Insights. So I thought, well, I'm just going to see what this says about my website that I've been playing with and hosting. And it's a live view website using Tailwind UI and Tailwind CSS. And so I just threw it in there and said, well, what are you going to tell me? And just, I thought it was fun because it gave me like the best internet scores for a website that I've ever had, which was like 99% on performance, 100% accessibility, 100% best practices, 92% on SEO. And that was all with me making no effort to be good at any of those things. So that included the mobile view and the desktop view, which I have made some effort to work well on mobile. But for me, it was just fun because it validated what I already felt was true, which is that live view with Tailwind CSS is really fast because Tailwind CSS, if you're using the modern way, it strips out all the CSS that you're not actually using. So it's only the stuff that your website is using. So it's already tuned in that way. So anyway, live view, it's fast. I already knew it was fast. But like this just proved that it is fast. I don't even have to try to do anything. It's just awesome. 
it's not a hundred percent related, but you know, like live view and the, and the SEO and page site and all that stuff is typically on page load, right? So it doesn't necessarily care about the rest of what live view can do, but yeah, SEO is a, is an item on there. So not exactly related to what you're talking about, but just a heads up. There is like a Phoenix SEO library out there that can help uh, structure those things. So you get that internet juice boost, get, get some visibility on, on your page. So I always couple that together in my mind, but yeah, love that Phoenix makes it easy for us. I'll throw something in there. That's completely unrelated. If you haven't tried chat GPT, try it while it's free. A lot of people talk about it. I tried it over the holiday break. It's actually insane. <laughs> and I, I legitimately asked it, how would you write a WebSocket server in Elixir? It wrote out Phoenix channel code for me. And I said, say, I would like to authenticate this channel before it connects. How would you change the above code? It writes authentication code in Elixir for you. And then I said, I now would like to add sentiment analysis to my channel and only broadcast channels that have positive sentiment. And it <laughs> went ahead and it started writing code to figure out how you would or wouldn't broadcast based on the sentiment of the text. And it just, it blows me away, like how insane it is. So <laughs> while it's free, do yourself a service. If you haven't yet, you've probably heard about it, but if you haven't tried it out, it's actually insane what it can do. Do you know when it stops being free? Uh, when people find enough value and talk about how much they'd pay for it. <laughs> I don't know. We should ask GPT that question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it is a, a fun thing to play with. Like, uh, I, I, I would give it a summary of a blob of text and say, summarize this into a tweet. So like, it was a great starting point for me to then mess with or give me a content edit of this blog post and you know like point out all these different changes and by default it would give it a more professional sounding kind of a little bland but then you can say oh make it more conversational it's crazy well i was always jealous of the github code pilot thing or copilot whatever it is because it doesn't have elixir support right and i've wanted to try it i failed to try it before it went out of free beta so i don't know how good it is but I just can't imagine like even just getting a head start on like testing, for example, it's like you write a live view and you're like, please write some tests for this. And it gives you a block of like 10 starter tests or something, right? It's like, it's just insane. A random internet search tells me that it costs $100,000 a day to run chat GPT. So wow. <laughs> who knows if that's right or not. But if that is true, you know that they're going to start. They're coming. They're coming. Yeah, they're going to start charging for it. And that's it for the news. Elixir and Phoenix are incredible. They make it possible to quickly build highly resilient and reliable systems capable of operating at incredible scale. Fly.io is a great place to host Elixir apps. You can deploy your app to multiple regions around the world with a private network linking them all together so your app can cluster and globally do some incredible Phoenix magic. Give your users a more responsive UI while writing less code and moving the app closer to your users without needing an ops team. Check out fly.io for your next Elixir app. Today, we're being joined by our special guest, Philip Brown. Philip, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, I'm glad you could come because a few weeks ago, we talked with Jose Valim, and in that interview, he specifically mentioned prize.com as one of the companies that was doing something with NX and Axon in production. And that happens to be something you have built so you're using machine learning and everything in prize.com. And so we wanted to have you on and talk about what you're doing with Elixir there. And also, I just noticed, you know, that I have this indie hacker style interest. 
And when I see people doing cool things with like as individuals or very small companies and creating new things, I'm always interested in learning more about how that works and, and how you've done that. And what I thought was really cool is you've done this with Elixir and you started the company in 2022. So it's still all a very new thing. So I'm really excited to talk about all of this. But before we jump into that, I'd love to hear more about you. Like, where do you live and what kind of work are you doing? Hey, yeah. So my name is Philip Brown and I live in uh, Newcastle-upon-Tyne, which is the like kind of the northeast of England. Um, I've been a, an Elixir contract developer since 2019, uh, working with mostly startups. Uh, so like a couple of e-commerce startups, uh, like an online education startup, and then like various different software as a service type companies where, you know, like they have a specialization, but it's, you know, it, it's generally along the same lines. Towards the end of last year, I kind of had the itch where I wanted to start my own thing. And it was kind of like, well, it's now or never. I need to just, if I'm going to do it, I may as well just go and do it uh, rather than waiting for the perfect opportunity. So yeah, finished my last contract in the December had a couple of weeks off for Christmas and then started in January of 2022 building prize. It wasn't something that I'd came up with over that Christmas break. It was something I'd been tinkering with for quite a while. It reached the point where I just wasn't making progress on nights and weekends. I had to basically just like pull the bandage off and, and give it a, a fair shot. So I should clarify that prize is spelled P-R-I-S-E dot com. Because you can't necessarily tell by the, the way we're saying it. So I would love to hear a little bit about what this service does. Because I think this is just interesting as a way of framing what we're going to be talking about with the machine learning stuff. I think of it as an intelligent layer that sits on top of your existing workflow. So if you're part of a team that you probably use at least one project management tool, I've, like I speak with companies where they have multiple so they might have multiple running concurrently or each department might have their own tool so like the software developers might use github the marketing department might use notion the design department might use trello so you have like tasks and projects in a project management application but you'll probably also have uh, like calendar events in a calendar application right so like the idea of what you're working on is split across multiple applications and pretty much for everyone. And so I think of prizes like an intelligent layer that sits on top of those things. It kind of aggregates the data and then uses machine learning to apply recommendations and insights based on the data that it pulls. And yeah, the, on the name, it's one of those names where like you say it and it, and it has like ambiguous on the spelling. But the reason why it's called prize is it provides leverage over these tools, right? It, you know, if you are trying to move something heavy, you use a lever to move it. And Prize is a way to provide leverage over like this huge amount of data that is that, is, that you have in your like workplace. Uh, and so Prize, like to prize apart, is the like verb form of applying leverage. So what kind of recommendations are you? Could you give us some examples of like, Going with your Trello, GitHub, Calendar, Google Calendar example, what would it what would it tell me? What would it offer? Uh, yeah, so there's, there's a few different things. So if you subscribe to something like the Eisenhower Matrix, where tasks are split in between like importance and urgency, and so in the top left you might have tasks that are important and urgent. So important 
where important means it's moving you closer towards your longer term goals and urgent has uh, like a time-based component to it. And then you could have like things that are important, but not urgent. So things that you, you know, you need to do to progress towards your longer term goals, but you might not necessarily get to them because there isn't a fire burning to, to get it done or things that are urgent, but not important, uh, which are like, things that are, you don't necessarily need to do because they're not pushing you towards your goals. And then things that are like not important and not urgent where things you should just like delegate or just don't do them at all. So that's kind of one way that it provides recommendations by highlighting the things are that are important and urgent. But then there's also things where, uh, you know, like your energy level will fluctuate throughout the day or throughout the week. And so on Monday morning after a, a weekend of rest, you might be pumped up to to work on some deep work, you know, really get into the, the nuts and bolts of a of a deep technical project, for example. And then on Friday afternoon, you might be so exhausted then actually you just want to like like send invoices or like do your accountants or like, you know, things that don't require a lot of energy. Instead of you having that like mental overhead of looking at your Trello board or looking at whatever you use and then going through the process of like, oh, do I have time to do this? Do I have the energy to do this? Prize basically shows you the five most important things or the five most, you know, whatever it is, things that it's recommending that you, you should do at that time. With the company, is it just you or do you have a whole team? Yeah, it's just me. Uh, it's funny. Every person that I speak to in that I don't already know asks me uh, how many people are working on Prize. Like, who else is who else is doing it? And like, yeah, they'll ask me a few times or a few different ways. Like, are you using contractors? Are you uh, have you got so, have you got a co-founder? Have you got a team of work, people working on it? And yeah, it's just me. Everything that you've seen every like line of code, every design thing, every word on the blog uh, is just me. Because <laughs> what I think is interesting is you named off a number of different integrations that would be required, like for Google Calendar and all the, you know, Trello and all these different things that people are already using. These are all other products. And just the ability to integrate with all of those seems like a lot of work. Just that part, like that would be normally a whole team. How many integrations do you have? And what does that look like? Yeah, so currently there's only three integrations, uh, which is GitHub, Trello, and Notion. So I think I've got a good process of building these integrations now through building those first three. I feel like I could knock an integration out a week if I really dedicated the time to doing it. But when it comes to doing the integrations, right, you know, there's certain things that are dead easy about it, but then there's certain things that are completely different. So in Notion, for example, like where everything's just a key and a value and you have these a huge amount of field types where, uh, you know, it, it like, it could be, it could be anything. It, it's so difficult. And then like Trello is like less of that where Trello has the idea of archiving a card, but the typical usage of Trello is not nobody archives a card. They just move it to the done list. But the, the done <laughs> list is just, again, it's just a key. It's just a, a list with an ID. Like the, it, it's meaningless. Whereas in GitHub, you like close an issue so that the semantics are mapped closer to prize where you complete a task. There's definitely nuances around 
the integrations. And so I don't want to rush into integrating absolutely everything and then get to 20 integrations and then realize uh, like there's some fundamental flaw here that I need to fix. And so I'm kind of taking it slowly. And so on the website, I, I do have a list of the integrations that I plan to, to add. And that's mostly to kind of show the future of Prize, to show like this will encompass the, the things that I am going to use. But then also having pages on the website is good for SEO. You know, like it, it creates a bigger uh, digital footprint for SEO uh, but then it also allows me to like view the analytics and to see like which pages are getting the most views, and then that kind of that'll help guide the decision making process of, of which integrations I should prioritize going forward. So I'd love to jump into the machine learning part with NX and Axon in production. First, I just have to say I know that you aren't new to machine learning because you wrote a blog post about using NX and Axon. It's on the fly blog called uh, Recognize Digits Using ML in Elixir, which is really cool, you know, like that you can visually see like these are handwritten digits and using this available training set, like going through the whole process of how do I train and how do I execute against the model? I don't, I'm not even sure where to go with this because it sounds really interesting that you have all these, you talked about how Notion structures things so differently from Trello, from GitHub, and then you have all this raw information or text, usually there might be images attached with it. You know, there might be who knows what's in this item that you're looking at, but you have to decide what's important. I'd love to hear how you're doing some of that with NX and Axon. Well, currently the way it works in Prize is you have the name of the the task or the event is, is basically just a string. So an example could be record thinking Elixir podcast. That could be something in my project management application. And then another one could be fix bug in Phoenix controller. Another another one could be send invoice to fly.io. Those things are like three different things that I could have in my like to-do list, whatever to-do list means to me. But when I say those things to you, you have a like a an idea of what those things mean. So record thinking Elixir podcast is it's obviously an, an event. It's a synchronous event. Fix a, a bug is a, it could be like a deep work where you need to really get into the weeds of like understanding how something works and where it's going wrong. Sending an invoice is, is typically a really, you know, like mundane, easy thing to do. And so each of those tasks or events have a characteristic profile that you are like, as, as we are speaking about them, you know, it's obviously subjective, but it's more than just string, uh, like a string of text. But when you enter any of those items into a Trello or an Asana or a Basecamp, those applications don't know those things about what those things are. So you can't say like, well, this is a sync event. So you, you it has to happen at this time or date. Uh, this is a kind of a, like a mundane task. So it doesn't really matter when you do it, but perhaps it has like a, you know, a deadline, but it doesn't really matter when you do it, but it's, it's an easy thing to do. So I can place it at the, at the end of the day when you kind of just killing time anyway, or something where it requires deep work, where you need like an hour plus block of time to do. So the machine learning in prize, it basically converts that string representation of the task or the item into essentially like an object of properties of characteristics that like define what that item is 
And then using that object, now once I've converted the unstructured data into a, st a structured representation of the data, you can then apply recommendation, or you can use it as part of a recommendation engine. You can gather insights. So you can say like, well, just show me all of my events or show me all of the things that require low energy or show me all the things that are, have a high amount of creativity. So yeah, that's what I'm using the machine learning for at the minute. And then like the recommendations part of Prize at the minute doesn't use machine learning. Like, there's multiple ways of building like a recommendations engine, but it could be something that I do in the future, like apply machine learning to that as well. I feel like it's starting to come together. Like it sounds like you kind of like scan the tasks and you're kind of like assigning what you said, like creativity or like difficulty or different attributes. That sounds interesting, but something that always comes to my mind as a question is like, how does that happen? Like, does it happen in the background and as like jobs, like, like open type of jobs or like if you hook up an integration, does it just like immediately start giving you something or is it like, okay, well, it's going to take an hour for me to like process all this stuff, come back later. Like, how does that work? Uh, yeah. So when I first launched prize, it was, I use open as, as a, like a background. So I'd basically create the task or the, the event and then a, a background job would apply the machine learning to it. Not so long ago, though, I, I'd switched to, it's basically like a gen server in Elixir where, you know, I'm sending a message to the process. The process is holding the state of the axon struct. Then I, I pass the, the the text of the, you know, the title of the task or the title of the event. And then it returns the object of like characteristics. So yeah, originally it was it was a background task, but I think part of the aha moment of like, oh my god, this like, uh, like I want to show people that like it, it understands what the, what the thing. I want to show like the magic of it, and like when I was using like a background task, it worked, and I could I could show like a, a spinner to show that it, it was thinking about it, and then like w with like Elixir Phoenix. You know, it, it's a very seamless process, but I actually changed it to using a gen server just so that it was quicker to to like show the result. Uh, I, I initially used Open because I was a bit nervous of like like how it's going to cope, but actually it was fine to to just use it as a, as a gen server. So, are you using any like machine learning models to get meaning from the text, and what kind of meaning can you get from the text? I'm not using any like base models. It was kind of before you could do that. I started I started using NX and Axon like it was really early days and you couldn't really do any of those things yet. So the way I'm doing it is like I have training data. So I've built up training my own training data that is where I've categorized like a huge amount of tasks and or like example data. It uses the 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 training data that I've acquired. It's, it's like an ongoing process to refine over time or to like, you know, things that are important to me might not be important to you because it is like all of these things are subjective. Uh, like over time, I want to have a, like a tighter feedback loop of like training data to improve things. Yeah. But so, yeah, I'm not using any like base models or anything like that. It is like training data that I've had to manually <laughs> collect and then tag, which is uh, yeah, not a nice process, but it, it got me to where I needed to be. <laughs> well, that, that answers my other question, which was around the training of the data. Because I don't imagine there's anything that's ready available of here's a, here's a model on Hugging Face that will 
you know, do it already what you want. So like you had to do some of that yourself, which totally makes sense. Yeah, exactly. And and think like, you know, the last, you know, six to 12 months, we've seen this like explosion of like the open AI stuff, the uh, stable diffusion and mid journey and Dali and a lot of these chat GPT or like one of these things that are based on like GPT-3, all these products that come out, everyone's kind of like using the same model. And so it's a boon for like the democratization of, of AI that like it becomes so much easier, but then like you're basically using the same model as your competitors. Whereas where the path that I took, it's been a lot harder, but then I'm the only one that has this model. Like nobody, somebody could come along, a, a, like a competitor could come along and do the same thing, but they haven't got like a something that can just grab a hug and face and deploy that same day. They're going to have to go through the same toil that I had to go through to to get to that stage as well. Yeah. And that's what's neat about the, like what you were saying with the success of your project and, and company, you are creating more data, which users are presumably giving some kind of feedback on like that this was a successful classification, or maybe they can manually reorder something which gives you information. And then you can all use to retrain. Yeah, exactly. So the, the user interface, uh, like it doesn't show everything at the minute because it would be overwhelming it does show these characteristics and then uh, allows you to kind of to tweak things which will improve the recommendations over time i want to add more of that so at the minute it's just if you open like a card in trello and it has like properties then you can change those properties and that's essentially what it is but i want more of a formalized thing like where the prize like asks like was this right i think with any of these machine learning applications it's magic when it works and it's like terrible when it doesn't <laughs> and like prize is not perfect. It will get things wrong. Part of the challenge is not necessarily the technical product. It's the like, how can I like give confidence to the user that these things are like, you know, right. So it sounds like what, what you need is a, you need a CAPTCHA service and it shows a couple of tasks and it's like, order these in what you think is the hardest to the easiest. <laughs> or most important to least important. Yeah. And then the, and then it goes to phase two. It's like, now reorder them to which is most important to least important. Yeah, that's a good idea. I'm going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> you have a huge set of data at that point, right? Put it on all the Google CAPTCHA websites. And... <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd be so scared to, to deploy any kind of machine learning. So, I mean, you've gone through the toil here to... to you know, fine tune it. But a lot of the the models that I've used, like the stable diffusion stuff or the the text generation things, it's just, it, it oftentimes comes out with just utter garbage on the other side, right? <laughs> but I'm not involved with the training in training the data and, all, and validating the data. Like, has there been some useful techniques that you've had before you deploy? You know, like I'm thinking more about the process here of, of you know, your model and training it. Have you found a, like a yeah useful tips on how to safely deploy that stuff and train and make sure there's no like weird regressions that happen in in, in there? Because that's kind of core to your business, right? If something happens there, that's it's going to be bad. <laughs> like you're terrified to ever change the model again, <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> yeah, not really. To be honest, um, it it just like hours of like manually testing it, like testing it locally, test like for a while. So like. It's not like I've only just started doing this 
in January, really, I, I started building like the Phoenix application in January, but I had been doing it for a while before. I'd had it working in IntensiveFlow and I was just using it as part of like a command line tool that I'd been using for a while anyway, because I'm doing everything. I don't have a huge amount of time to like, you know, it's not like I'm deploying a new model every week. It's like, I've got like a thousand other things to do at the same time. So like, yeah, it's not like the, the turnover of models is like particularly high. Yeah. And I guess the recommendations aren't life or death. You know, it's like, oh, if, if, you, if it gives you a bad recommendation, the human has intervention ability, right? Yeah. Like I, I kind of think of it as if you hired an assistant, say on, and on day one, you said to the assistant, organize these things by most important. Well, like the human, like it doesn't matter if it's the smartest assistant in the world, like it's not going to get a hundred percent right. It takes time to to do that. And so I'm not, I think going for a hundred percent accuracy is probably an impossible goal. It, it should be like, is this useful? Is this as useful as a human doing it? Who's done it for uh, like, you know, a certain amount of time to, to kind of get up to speed. And then on day one of prize, it's like, it's not totally useless but it should get better with time. That's cool. I'd love to talk a little bit more about Elixir being in this mix because you know you're, you started your own company as a startup and you're using Elixir. And is this using LiveView as well? Yeah, it is, yeah. And you're doing it all by yourself, which I think is really cool. So I'd love to just hear a little bit about, you have customers now. Like, What can you share about where the company is right now and its, it's success? Just so then I wanna come back and talk about Elixir. I was lucky enough to have customers from day one. Looking back, that worked out quite well. It was betting on an Exxon Axon because it meant that like early on, I got like, so well, before I even had the product out, I was tweeting screenshots or screenshots and videos of me basically using it in the terminal and saying like, okay, here's a, here's a text file of tasks now, like organize them or like show me, just show me the creative ones. And so I managed to build up like a waiting list of a couple of hundred people just based on these tweets. And then uh, when I put the product live, I had customers straight away. So yeah, I've had customers since day one, really. It's using LiveView. And I was thinking about this the other day. And, you know, when people are keep saying like, I can't believe that you're doing this by yourself. I think I do have to attribute a lot of that to Phoenix and LiveView because the ability to ship features is is just so much easier than if I was using something else. So one of the very first R&D prototypes are built was like a Phoenix API backend and an Elm front end, but it was just so much, it was so much of a headache to try and like, uh, you know, like massage the JSON between the two that it was just like, it was an overwhelming, like it was overwhelming just having two repositories on GitHub to manage, let alone two applications. And so, yeah, I do feel like the fact that I've used LiveView has enabled me to, to be able to do so much as a single person building this on my own. So Philip, you mentioned this idea that you you took a bet on NX and Elixir because you have this machine learning experience. And I presume a lot of that came from when you were like maybe working with Python tools or something else, right? Uh, yeah, so I, I don't have a formal education in machine learning. I'm like, a, I'm a hacker, not a, a, an academic when it comes to machine learning. I just, I know enough to get what I need to, to get done. And if I need to, do something new i have to go out and kind of research it find an example break the example over and over again rewrite the example over and over again until i finally figure out how it works 
And so, yeah, I was using TensorFlow to build the way to convert like the string representations of tasks into this object of characteristics. So yeah, I was, do- I was doing it in TensorFlow, and, but like, because it was Python and I can get by using Python, but it, because I'm not doing it day to day, I'd find myself tripping over things that was like, you know, kind of basic things where I would just need to like transform some data or, you know, do some fairly simple thing, but I'd, I'd waste time Googling to understand how it works or like how to do that thing. And then like coincidentally, saw Jose announce NX and Axon and I was just like, wow, this is like perfect. <laughs> and so, yeah, very quickly ditched TensorFlow and thought, well, the risk is low for me because I was kind of just tinkering anyway. It's, you know, it's not like I was betting a company with employees on, on NX and Axon. So I was, it was a, you know, it was a relatively low risk thing for me to, to do and, you know, at the start where NX and Axon weren't like fully fleshed out, but I didn't need like feature parity with TensorFlow. I, I just needed to be able to do what I needed to do. Uh, and like the credit to Jose and Sean and like everyone who's contributed, like the the community around it is so friendly that if you have a question of how to do something or like if something's not implemented, like the number of times Sean's answered my question, my like, you know, stupid questions or like specifically added uh, something that I needed, like is kind of ridiculous at this point. Like I, like if I ever make a lot of money from prize, I probably owe Sean and uh, Jose something for that. What you said there was that you're like a hacker and a machine learning hacker. And if I had heard you said like, well, I got a PhD and I did my master's thesis on this. And if I had heard that, then I'd be like, wow, you know, that, that really is unapproachable. But like to hear you say, well, I just kind of figure out what I needed to do to solve my problem. That's really encouraging, really, for me as someone who who doesn't have the academic background either and saying, oh, wow, you know, the community is great. There's a lot. The tooling is available and now there's a way to jump in here. So I think that's that's really exciting. Yeah, exactly. So when I was started learning, like a lot of the resources that you'll that you'll find assume like a maths background or like a, a certain level, probably college degree level maths, where there's certain concepts that you just take for granted, or that the writer of the article or the tutorial like assumes that you have this background and I just didn't have that background. Like I stopped doing maths at school at the first opportunity. (laughs) (laughs) So like I'm nowhere near that level. And then you get like another type of tutorial, which is kind of like a from scratch type of tutorial where they'll they'll, you know, they'll build like a, a neural network in NumPy and you kind of get more of a feel for like what's going on there. But like one of the motivations for me reaching out to you to do the, the handwritten digits in Phoenix, the tutorials that I found the most helpful were like end to end, like this is the training data. Perhaps, perhaps we'll, we'll build the training data, but perhaps not, but we'll build the model. We'll build like an application. So you can see the whole thing end to end. And it was those type of applications where if I found like an example like that, where if I'm trying to, to solve a particular type of problem, I can find like an end to end tutorial like that doesn't just give me the kind of the the maths behind it or it doesn't just give me like the super simple like basic building blocks it actually gives me something that like okay it's maybe it's not it, it's not going to scale to the likes of to to be like google but it's going to get you far enough where you can take the next step 
so yeah, I really wanted to do that for Elixir. Like there didn't seem to be that many of those types of articles around. Yeah, the the more I kind of thought about it, the more it made sense because I could do so much with Phoenix as well, where it'd have that like feedback loop of you could draw it like in the browser, you could use a hook to send it and then get that without the page refresh. I think when I first sent you the the email, I did not really have a solid idea of what I was going to do. I was kind of like, ah, oh, yeah, I'll figure it out. And then like, it took me like a couple of hours to build the whole thing. And then it was like, it was more time to actually write the the article rather than like figure out how to build the thing. It was so easy. And then, uh, yeah, with like the, the Bumblebee stuff that's been launched recently, Elixir is just making it so easy to add these things to an application. And so instead of having like an API request to open AI, you can literally have the model running inside your own application. You know, that I don't think any other ecosystem's doing this, which is, it's such a huge differentiation for Elixir. So what is next for Prize? I guess more marketing, more like trying to get it out there, more talking to customers to kind of understand more about what they want. So actually when Prize first launched, it was basically like an alternative project management application but people kept telling me that you know i don't need another (laughs) project management application i've already got enough i'm already using two or three i don't need another one the thing that's differentiating prize is that intelligent layer uh, like aspect of it and and people kept telling me like you should just like you know focus on that instead of and it actually took me like months to, to actually refocus on being that intelligent layer rather than being like an alternative. So yeah, more more speaking to customers, more trying to understand the needs, more how Prize can be uh, more impactful to more people. I've got a, a lot of ideas kind of like before this year, I was, I've had like a couple of like R&D type projects based on the idea of like, if you have this leverage over tasks, like if you can understand tasks, what cool things can you do with that? Yeah, I've got like a, a number of ideas that I think are really interesting that I could build on top of it. But yeah, I guess it's it's you know taking it one step at a time, continuing building the integrations, getting more people to 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 try prize and give feedback, and and yeah, just take it one step at a time. I like that approach of I thought I was building a better project management software and then just listening to your users is like no 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 we have too many and then it's just the idea of pivoting to being the smarts that glues all these existing ones together i think that that's a a cool little tip there that comes from the users yeah exactly one of the first people that tried prize someone that i I have no affiliation with i don't like I, i didn't already know them yeah it basically said exactly that but then it took me another six months to actually doing, and like many, many, many more people telling me the exact same thing before I realized like, oh, actually, yeah, I should have just listened to that first person. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. Well, if people want to try out Prize or see a demo of it, or maybe they just want to get in touch with you about what you're doing with NX and Axon and where can they go to do all that? Uh, Yeah, so you can sign up for a free Prize account. So the first 250 items are free and you can use it for as long as you want. Then afterwards, it's it's uh, like a paid subscription. If you want to email me, it's philip at prize.com. So that's philip with one L. Or you can find me on Twitter at philipbrown. 
Well, thanks, Philip, for coming on and talking with us about how you are leveraging NX and Axon and Elixir's ability to do machine learning actually in production, helping people solve interesting problems. That's really cool. Uh, Thanks for having me. It's been really good. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us next time on Thinking Elixir. Thank you.